in the world of freedom. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ich bin ein Berliner. This is Radio Goethe Magazine with Arndt Peltner. News and information from the heart of Europe. Hello and welcome to Radio Goethe Magazine. I'm Arndt Peltner. In today's show I have a feature about death row, so stay tuned. But first, the news. Radio Goethe Magazine. The news with Nina Paula. Berlin. Germany will continue to watch Scientologists. A state court ruled that the German government can keep the Church of Scientology under surveillance. In 2003, Scientology had sued the government, argued that its members belonged to a legitimate church and had no political ambitions. Apart from the lawsuit, there is movement within the German government to ban Scientology. Germany's interior ministers have announced that they consider Scientology to be unconstitutional. They have asked the country's domestic intelligence agency to prepare a dossier on the organization's activities with a view to ban it next year. Mannheim The German encyclopedia publisher Brockhaus is going to place its reference works on the Internet to offset falling revenues. Unlike popular reference work Wikipedia, it will be ad-sponsored and professionally edited. The publisher's management is reviewing ways to reduce costs and is planning to launch its free encyclopedic portal in mid-April. The Brockhaus branch in Leipzig, which includes about 60 employees, was transformed into a purely online editorial office last year. Market analyzes clearly show that customers will research specific information on the Internet more and more in the future, a Brockhaus spokesperson said. The 21st edition of the Brockhaus Encyclopedia was likely the last in printed form. Now everything will happen online. Berlin A new state subsidy model has made Germany an attractive place to make movies. Illustrious Hollywood movie producers and industry newcomers are setting up their cameras in Germany. Back to Africa, a documentary about a small African circus tour of Germany, is the most modest production that received financial support from the state-run German Film Fund last year. Hollywood blockbuster Speed Racer by Matrix producers Andy and Larry Wachowski was the most opulent. In 2007, its first year of existence, the German Film Fund subsidized 99 films with a total of nearly 60 million euros. Many German filmmakers like Fatih Akin, Tom Tikva, Caroline Link and Doris Dörri were among the recipients. Gladbeck The refrigerator of the future will run on heat and not cost any electricity. To this conclusion comes a team of innovative scientists in Germany. If you've ever had to go behind your refrigerator, you may have noticed that cold makes heat, says Rainer Braun, a professor at Innovationszentrum Wiesenbusch Gladbeck. Why then can't heat make cold? And why not look to the biggest source of energy available, the sun? The principle of solar cooling, the so-called ammoniac water absorption technique, has been known since 1810. In Gladbeck this idea will be now used the other way around. The German scientists have developed a prototype, which very soon could be cooling a cold storage plant in Morocco this way. Berlin 
Rock legend Patti Smith lent a little punk spirit to the Berlin International Film Festival. During her visit to the German capital to promote a new documentary about her career, she even found time to visit the grave of Bertolt Brecht on the writer's birthday. Smith was in town to promote Patti Smith, Dream of Life, which is being shown as part of the Berlin International Film Festival. The film, which was shot on a 16mm camera, mostly in black and white, shows the various sides of the multi-talented musician and writer. As well as concert footage, it shows the 61-year-old singer at home with her family and taking part in political protests. For 12 years I have been in contact with an inmate on death row in St. Quentin. Through him I met other inmates. At one point I wanted to produce a feature about prisoners on death row who are writing, to deal with their crime, their past, their situation, their dreams and their hopes. You will hear their voices, phone interviews I did with them. One of them, Stanley Tookie Williams, was executed in December 2005. You will also hear a text by Kurt Tucholsky, a German writer who in the late 1920s wrote an article about the death penalty. Tucholsky was a critical voice of his time, a true believer in democracy and an anti-fascist. As soon as they've taken him away, the guard opens the window. It always smells bad in prison cells, but the air in this cell is especially foul. The sour air... The sweatiness of last fear sticks to the walls and final prayers, wishes, vague images escape through the little barred window, while outside the passing bell tolls. The door is open. You can look inside from the passage. Stanley Tookie Williams, on death row since 1981. I'm on Quentin's death row, and I'm in a uh, cell, I guess it's about uh, nine by... Uh, Nine by four foot cell, I guess. And uh, I have a bunk. Uh, it's equipped with a bunk, a toilet, a, um, a sink, and the shelf. Everything in here is steel, and there's uh, steel bars and a steel mesh fence on the outside of the bars. And uh, you know, the place in itself is, uh, you know, the ambiance is, as usual, full of death, uh, in my opinion. I mean, this is a place where individuals uh, eventually, if they're uh, unfortunate, uh, will end up being executed. Barbara Becknell, social worker, friend of Stanley Tookie Williams. Stanley Tookie Williams is a death row prisoner at San Quentin State Prison. He's also the co-founder of the Crips Youth Gang. And he is the co-author of nine violence prevention and gang prevention books for kids. And he's been nominated twice for a Nobel Peace Prize and once for a Nobel Prize in Literature. There isn't much inside. The chair, the bed, it still shows the outline of a human being who won't be back. The table at which they let him write a last letter, the water jug from which he drank, why did he still bother? The pail into which he emptied his last terror, now he's gone. The room is completely still. Although door and window are open, it doesn't get better. Something sticks to the walls and the air seems clotted. Kurt Michaels, 
on death row since 1990. Well, call it my concrete condo rather than a cell. So basically you look at it as your home instead of a, a prison cell. You know, over the years you basically learn not to look at the bars or you look through them. You don't see them when you're looking outside your cell. Adolescent, a youngster, I really wasn't able to deal well with you know, emotional pain. You know, pain from the heart is a whole different deal from physical pain. You know, and I bear physical pain a whole lot easier than I did emotional. So I started expressing myself through writing at that time. And that periodically, uh, some things would need to be released or expressed, and I'm not real good verbally. So a lot of what I couldn't say or express verbally, I put into writing. with a lot of people around the world and in this country my loved ones family members and friends but the ones that I correspond around the world in Germany and Japan and Australia is they share things like I said with my own family members their life or their their world which is what I consider it it's their world because in here is a whole nother world and I'll pick up their letters and like when the mail cart shows up here and they deliver mail It'll have letters from Austria or different countries, and I'll put them in order of, you know, different areas where I want to travel to at that time. And sometimes I'll tell my neighbors, you know, it's mail time, don't call me. Leave me alone, because I'm not going to want to be here right now. And I'll pick up their letters and open each one, one by one, and a lot of times they have photos, or in their letters they're describing various things of their life so that I can share in it. And when I respond to these letters, you know, I respond to it as, as each part of the letter I read, I respond to that part. I am not here. This is my escape as mentally as all we have.
These are my final words to you. My spirit has taken flight. What I did, right or wrong, it's time to start a new day. You feel so tight in here. He still pretended to be a human being. He breathed as if it still mattered. He cried. He retreated into himself. In this moment, he could not have fathered a child. All his glands shrank in an extremity of tension, defensively cramped, as if they had been injected with alum. His pores exuded bitter fear. Shaim Ben Shalom, on death row since 1986. Uh, you, you know, you're sitting in your cell with, with nothing to do, um, nothing to read. Even if you've got a TV, there isn't necessarily anything on. And you just start writing. Um, for me, it started with personal correspondence. And um, then um, somebody sent me a, a thing for a Swiss writing contest, and, and I entered that, and it just kind of got going from there. This is something that's pretty much explosive to in here. Uh, outside, I had other things to do. And I didn't really, you know, exercise muscle, so to speak. There's not a lot of room in here. I, I sit at, at uh, uh, my steel bunk. I actually sleep on the floor and use my, my steel bunk as a desk um, to try and make the most efficient use of the space. Um, or sometimes 
it, it doesn't really mean necessarily that I'm kind of, you know, digging up, you know, unsettled things in my past and trying to deal with them. Kind of depends on, you know, what exactly I'm writing. former guard in St. Quentin State Prison. Once you've worked there long enough, you can actually hear the conversations going on. Although there are hundreds at a time, you start being able to hear them going back and forth. And I mean, I, I was there for many reasons, and, and I found the, uh, some of the sounds to be pure music, pure poetry. You know, uh, they, they, throw, um, they throw sound, and it's, it's almost like a, a concert hall. And I, I remember this one conversation, a guy on the bottom saying, hey, Blue, and the Blue just went all the way up to the fifth tier. Yeah, what's up? 
And then down there says, everything what ain't down. And you, the, all these sounds are just incredible. But the, the, the structure itself is such, it's called inside construction. And there's the outside wall, and then the, uh, the gun rail is on that wall, and then there's a sheer drop to the floor, and then inside that, facing the gun rail, is a set of five tiers, five levels of cells. I mean, I, I look at it from an artistic point of view, so it's, you know, I'm, I'm very flowery about it. It's, it's you know, a place, that, it was the worst unit I had ever worked, only it was the most fascinating because of, because of those sounds. I've seen, I, I saw a guy who wasn't allowed art materials, even in the 80s, make a brush out of his hair and got state-issued tobacco. Of course, they're not even allowed to smoke now, but they were actually issued tobacco then. And he mixed it with water and used his hair as a brush and drew absolutely gorgeous paintings all over his cell. And uh, they really were amazing. And every couple weeks, they'd send him out to the yard and paint over his stuff which was okay for him, because then he, he could do some more. Where there's a will, there's a way. You know, if you want to do art, and if, so, you know, if a prisoner says, I want to do art, but they won't let me, you know, well, too bad. You can, art, art has, you can do songs like, you know, if you really want to make music, you can make music. And it's the same thing with art. Yes, he did deserve it, didn't he? He mutilated my child, my sweet blonde baby. It looked just like her, had a round nose, and we wanted a boy so much. And then it was a boy, and that pig attacked him in the park. The little one lost his way in the bushes. I can't even say what that monster or that damn dog. Is my child alive? Is his mother's pain gone? She'll have another child, but not that one. Maybe even a boy, but not that boy. Bending over the new cradle, she will cry. But what has happened? Glenn Cornwell, on death row, since 1995. All my good friends still amazing as usual, and life goes on. Football season started and my favorite team signed this new place kicker. I can't, I can't help but smile because when they mention his name, oh man, it's messing me up again. Hey, um, hang on a second. All right. I got one more verse I got to read, man. Let me, let me, let me take it off. I can't help but smile because they mention his name. Everyone on this side. Because when they mention his name, everyone on this side of the country who's watching the same game that day hears it. 
I'm sure no one sees the correlation. So I just smile to myself and reflect. See, the new place for the San Francisco 49ers is named Thomas Thompson. Paul Lloyd Hensley, on death row since 1995. Well, it started in the county jail while I was waiting to go to uh, trial. Um, I had escaped from the county jail and, and uh, been on America's Most Wanted and all that. They were looking for me. And they caught me and they brought me back and they put me in solitary, right? And uh, I spent all that time in there by myself with nothing to do, you know? And uh, I just started... I started off writing uh, love poems to my wife, right? And uh, from there, I just, you know, it just started coming out, flowing, you know, um, the different things I felt. And when I came here, uh, a lot of those were, were, um, uh, I don't know how to put it, uh, in the form of questions, you know what I mean? Of questions of why and how and, and, uh, Expressing the uh, things that I that I can't express to the people that I want to express it to, you know what I mean? Where my contact is limited uh, to humanity at large, you know. Uh, it's a way that that I can uh, express my feelings that'll that that will uh, last beyond the time that I'm here, you know what I mean? Um, say, you know, after I have uh, executed and gone. Um, my family may go through my stuff and, uh, or find one of my poems published somewhere, you know, uh, or people will read it, uh, and, you know, and say, well, you know, I can see where that, where, 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 what it meant by that, you know what I mean? Or people can, uh, can read it who, who couldn't imagine the situation I'm in, you know, and, uh, read they like the long and the short of it and see that, that you know, um, that people here on the row aren't just hardened, uh, no feelings, uh, monsters, you know what I mean? Because I'm a family man. I have six kids. Um, you know, I was, when I was uh, out there on the streets, I was the regional manager for Terminix International. I was, a, you know, in a, a white collar uh, type thing, you know? You know, most people think with somebody up here on death row is uh, lifetime criminals or something, you know? And, it, and it's not. It's just something that, that happened the long and the short of it. Five short steps, then turn and walk back, around and around on an invisible track. I start at the toilet and I end at the door. Then I turn around and I take five more. I must walk for miles all through the weeks, months, and years for the answer I seek to the question of why I once felt this rage that started the actions that led to this cage. I traveled the distance and I asked all the whys, sought all the truth, discarded the lies. And the answer I found to the question at hand is the fact that I am but just a man. Your heart on your sleeve. I mean, 
you have to uh, you have to uh, be hardened somewhat uh, have a shield up you know all the time for your emotions and and uh, for your well basically for your own protection your survival I mean I go to a yard when I go out to the yard I'm on a yard with um, there's like 150 people assigned to my yard and usually about about 65 out there on a on a regular day right and every one of these guys is here for killing somebody, for committing a violent act against another person, right? And so I can't be just the person I was on the streets. I have to be, I don't know how to put it, I have to be stronger, uh, more self-reliant, um, more aggressive to, uh, to, to the other male members of uh, people around me, you know what I mean? Here is different. You have to watch out for your life here every day. And, you know, and people, when you go, you know, people don't realize that. And, and sometimes even people in here don't realize that. When you go to that yard, you might not come back. You know, I mean, you get out there and you're laughing and joking. You're playing pinochle with everybody around you, um, you know, and uh, talking to these different guys. But at any moment, at any moment there, something could happen and you could end up gone, right? So so your whole persona is is always on guard. That's how I'd put it. You're always on guard for something to happen where on the streets you wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be that way unless you were, you know, schizophrenic paranoid or something. You know you know, yeah, I would say that, that you know, you're always ready for um uh, how do they put it, fight or flight? They haven't even avenged my wrong. What good does it do to satisfy my lowest instincts and to satisfy them senselessly? Perhaps even by offering me a front seat to watch his head roll in the sack. I don't want to watch. Something unalterable happened through him. A part of myself is gone. And nothing has been accomplished except another murder with all the terrors of the first. To make us secure? Yes. To make his parents secure so that no other little boy will be found like, oh, the dog. No, God's failed handiwork. Barbara Becknell, friend of Stanley Tookie Williams. In the late 1980s, he was sent to solitary confinement, where he stayed in solitary confinement for six and a half years. During that time, it was one of those moments where you either progress or perish. You know, you either move forward or you don't. And he took that time to really take a hard look at himself. And, and in looking at himself, he decided he did not like what he saw. And he decided that he needed to change. But what he also says is that he did not experience an epiphany. There was not this one moment of instant clarity and where he changed overnight from uh, a leader of a notorious street gang to a choir boy, that that did not happen. He said that he did change and he did redeem himself, but he did it by changing sort of an inch at a time, a day at a time over the course of many years. And in fact, what he says is um, that he still 
is sort of working on his redemption that it it is not uh, it's not like I'm redeemed and I'm done with it <laughs> you know he's still working on it the thing is is that uh, I realize that despite uh, where I am and who I am that children in a sense can empathize and I can empathize with them because uh, uh, we all were children at one time and I understand the child tribulations that they themselves are experiencing Therefore, I felt it was my duty, it was my devoir to uh, reach out to them and try to convince them that following in my path or any one of my ilk, uh, that uh, it's something that they don't want to do, that they shouldn't want to do, and that they should strive for an education as opposed to, you know, involving themselves in gangs or gangsterism or criminality of any kind. The cell is empty now. The sweated smell of death is almost gone. The jug that he touched with his lips is empty. The bed is made and the pail clean. The cell waits for the next one. There was today's Radio Goethe magazine. Please find us online at radiogoethe.org where you can subscribe to our free podcast. I'm Arndt Speltner.